Coming up, today's guest is Alex Austin, who is the CEO of Branch Metrics. You'll discover why just looking at CPI may not lead to the actual value of a user, how to determine a user's viral growth, and his storytelling tips that helped him raise over $100 million. Stay tuned. The most action-packed content from the top mobile experts. This is the App Masters Podcast with Steve P. Young. Fanbytes.com helps you drive downloads for less than 50 cents using Snapchat influencers. They even help one of my clients drive 46 cent CPIs at scale. Learn more at fanbytes.com. We all have developer horror stories from language barriers to bad code to developing on time. That's why I recommend using b7dev.com. They're affordable, fast, and more importantly, trustworthy. Go to b7dev.com. What is up, App Nation? It is Steve P. Young, founder of AppMasters.com. You know, the podcast, the blog, the YouTube channel. You go when you want action-packed content related to the app business. Because I talk to some phenomenal entrepreneurs out there who are doing some amazing things in the app business. And frankly, I do this so that I can learn what's really going on in the app business while teaching the audience as well. But today, I've got a phenomenal guest. I've had his co-founder, Mata, back in the podcast. I forget when, probably 2015. So I know the company really well, and I'm sure you guys have heard of them as well. They are Branch Metrics. You can check them out, branch.io. Everybody knows them about deep linking. We're going to talk a lot about how do you use deep linking with influencer marketing. I want to really learn more about that. But let me introduce the guest. His name is Alex Austin. He is the CEO of Branch. Alex, welcome to the show. Thanks so much, Steve. Excited to be here. All right, Alex. So we talked about with Mata, like how the company started. You guys were working on another app. It was really hard. But like, tell me about the emotional side of leaving that app and starting Branch. Yeah. Um, so I'm an engineer and I think with a little bit of a product mind. And when I start working on something, I am like a thousand percent emotionally invested. It is all consuming of my life seven days a week, 24 hours a day. Well, I do actually sleep, but uh, I am invested in building this thing. And I had actually built a number of different applications before. And the photo book app was one where we actually invested a significant amount of time. We had convinced a few investors to go in and support us. Uh, I felt, you know, I myself felt almost accountable for a team and money that we had taken from others. And so beyond just my own personal investment, I always also felt that accountability. And we saw a lot of initial success and continue to just pound and pound and try to grow this thing as best we possibly could. And, you know, ultimately, I think one of the most frustrating things that we encountered in this process was growing the business is incredibly hard in mobile, as I'm sure everybody can agree with. And the frustrating thing for me was there's all these amazing channels for websites to be found, like web search and you know content marketing and all sorts of really cool stuff. But in the app ecosystem, you're basically constrained to the app store page and an app icon and talking about the app in general, which has given rise to this massive app install marketing ecosystem. 
And it was very frustrating for us that we couldn't do things to be discovered in some of those traditional channels by the content inside the app. So, you know, people created awesome photo books. Why couldn't they share them or we could make them searchable? And so we actually this is why we built Branch as a way to link to the specific pages and use those pages, these awesome creations that people had made to drive growth. But ultimately, you know, we continue to push on this. We found that even though Google could index our app, they did a terrible job actually making it searchable. And so there wasn't a, you know, a, you know, saving grace in making it searchable and indexable, but um, it was what ultimately gave birth to Branch. So we're very appreciative of that. But coming towards the end of that, you know, we worked on that for about a year and I came to the realization that honestly, this wouldn't work out. You know, I'd initially envisioned it as like basically building the Shutterfly of, mob of mobile, being a billion dollar company, all of that stuff that I'm sure everybody dreams of when they're first starting on work, starting to work on something. And when I came to that realization, it was like I felt like this giant void in my life. And I personally like it was hard for me to get out of bed for a couple of days because I like I felt like I had nothing to like drive towards. And eventually, actually, Mata came over and uh, on like a it was like a Saturday afternoon. And I was like, I need something. And we're like, we started to think more about this linking product that we had built. And, you know, we're like, is there a path here? And we called a bunch of people we knew in the app ecosystem because we thought it was valuable. Immediately, we got feedback from 10 different people that they thought it was really valuable. And we're like, all right, this is the thing. And it felt like I had this, you know, this giant void filled in my life and I had something to focus on. And that was four years ago or a little bit over four years ago, you know, now today. And it's just been an absolutely wild ride ever since. Yeah, you guys so. have gone tremendously, especially like especially in the early days. I mean, back in 2015, I'm going to just make it look it up just to see when I had Mata on. But like everybody kind of knew already in the space. But now you guys are just like massive. So, mm. Alex, what, what I want to talk to you about before, too, is looking back at your career on your LinkedIn page, Cogwheel Labs. Is that your company that you sort of <laughs> bootstrapped? Yeah. So <laughs> I... So I a little bit of background on me. I was doing a PhD in electrical engineering and actually mostly focused on physics, not as much computer science, but I loved programming. It was a hobby of mine mm -hmm. and joined a startup uh, where the premise was we were going to build a new kind of solar panel from scratch. They're based in Santa Clara. I joined when there are about 40 people or so. That company ended up raising over $500 million over the course of the life that you know I was there. And um, we were, uh, you know, at one point valued over a couple billion dollars. So we were unicorn status, even though that wasn't a thing, uh, you know, back then. And ultimately, by the time that I had left, uh, so the company had grown to about 700 at its peak. I left. The company was sold for 30 million. So pennies on the dollar. Uh, and there were only about 150 people left at the company. So I got to see this meteoric rise of a company in this industry in solar. And then, unfortunately, this terrible fall from grace. And it was the most amazing journey I've ever experienced <laughs> outside of branch. Um, and I, like fundamentally, I left that company convinced that there were strategic decisions made about how we would go to market with product, how we position product, et cetera, 
that I could have made better that wouldn't have caused us to die. Mm -hmm. uh, I was an engineer at the time, and so I didn't necessarily feel like I had the influence to drive that change. And so I was convinced when I left that I wanted to start my own company. And I convinced my parents to let me live in my old bedroom and basically just started building things, uh, you know, over the course of two years, I found that I ran out of money and I did grad school primarily as a way just to try to pay, get loans because you can get loans for school and then you can pay for food and like housing and all that kind of stuff. And also in business school, you don't really have any work. It's like fake school. So you get to just like work on your own projects. So it was like the perfect opportunity to continue iterating. So Cogwheel Labs worked on a bunch of different things. Um, and ultimately, it's where we formed up as a team with Mata, Mike, and then Dimitri to start working on the photo book app that led to Branch. How did you meet them? Um, so Mata and Mike were actually in grad school with me. Okay. And they were, I convinced them to like, I think Mata had an internship at Apple and Mike had an internship at um, one of the consulting firms. And they were going to get paid oodles of money. And I was like, guys quit those jobs for the summer. We're going to build photo books and we're going to be billionaires. It's going to be awesome. Um, and then I think Mike actually lived from on couches during the summer, like maxed out all his credit cards. And anyway, I think they're thankful now that they decided to make that call. But um, yeah. I love that little hack. Well, I mean, I bring that up because I wanted to see how like, especially in my case, like I bootstrapped this company and like maybe the next journey is to fundraise a little bit, how that has changed a little bit, your mindset, your approach to just business in general. Yeah. Um, I mean, it's evolved a lot since the early days. I, I think the best description is when you're building a company, it's almost like imagine that you are trying to build, you know, a ship to float across, you know, the Atlantic or something like that. And at first it's, you're, you're not a shipbuilder. Like you have no idea what an actual ship looks like. And so you cobble together some, you know, logs and there's holes all in it. It's leaking, it's sinking constantly. And you're like, you know, meanwhile, there's all these like really awesome yachts and cruise ships sailing by you that with all these people that look really comfortable, like with lots of food, tanning, and you're like, guys, get off that ship and join me on this shitty or, you know, bad little raft <laughs> and like help me try to turn this thing into like a yacht. And, you know, uh, in the beginning, there's all these holes and I think it's like the sinking ship. And so what you're trying to do, your job and your co-founder's job is just to plug the holes with all of your appendages as best you can. But, you know, maybe there's a hole and it's like a triangle shaped hole and like, but your thumb is only circular. So you're not really good at filling holes, but you can kind of fill them. And then over time, if you can convince people to like jump off their comfortable yachts and join you, maybe you can find somebody with like a triangle shaped thumb that fits that hole really, really well. And you're like, oh man, we solved that problem really nicely. Now let's work on this other giant hole. But that's like a you know, it's a circular hole. So we got to find a circular thumbed person to fill that one. And so your job has to evolve from actually doing the work, the like individual work yourself and being that individual contributor filling holes to hiring the people strategically to fill those holes so you can go work on other problems. And so like in the early days, 
you know, when it was just four of us, I would be committing code. I'd be on a call with a customer. I'd finish the call with the customer. I'd go talk to an investor. Uh, then I'd go write a blog. After that, I'd sit down and write a blog post to do some marketing. Like you just do everything because you're just like, there's so many things to do all the time. And then you're like, well, this thing of writing code is really important for us. I should get somebody that can just focus on that 100% of the time that's going to do it better than me. And then go high, try to hire them, convince them to jump off that yacht and then join you on their tiny raft. And then eventually your raft kind of grows into, you know, more of like a little a little ship and then it's like evolves as you can convince people to give you money to buy more materials and convince people to join like it starts looking more like a legitimate you know watercraft um and so your your job evolves from being the ic to just continuing to work on finding the people to do that work for you but there are times when you know even today we're now 170 people we're kicking off a new really important strategic project for us I don't have the people to do it yet. And so I'll go back to writing code. So I might actually go from like, you know, we did an all hands this morning where I'm speaking to the company about all the awesome stuff we're doing in the future. And then afterwards, I'll sit down and I'll make a commit to this new project because I haven't yet filled that slot. And I think you've just got to be that type of dynamic role to do whatever it takes to make sure the company will grow and succeed in the long run. With all the fundraising, did it feel like there were multiple captains on this boat and being like, no, we should go this direction, this direction? How did you manage that? I think I've been I've heard people have horror stories of, you know, their relationships with investors. I think one of the things that we did every every single round was a lot of diligence about who we were getting involved with the company. We were very fortunate enough to have, you know, have pick in most cases. So the uh, we weren't necessarily constrained to working with one or another. And I want to say, like, I've been in fundraisings where it's very, very difficult and challenging. And ultimately, even with the in the photo book instance, like, you know, talked to probably 40, 50 investors and couldn't get a single person to commit. Whereas with branch, we we're fortunate enough to have, you know, uh, a pick. But in the pick, I think it's important that you talk to other entrepreneurs, not just that are referred to you by the investor, but others in the portfolio that you can sort of back channel and hear thoughts about their relationship with the investor. And for us, it was important to hear that this investor, whoever we would bring in, would be supportive of the company and our decisions, regardless of sort of the state. If things were going well, they'd be supportive. And if things were going very badly, they'd also be supportive. And in that case, you know, I can't say that we've ever had a meeting, a board meeting where there's been any amount of disagreement or uh, where they've contested a decision that we've made. So uh, maybe we're very lucky in that regard, but I feel like they've ha- they have our back in every decision we make. That's really cool, Alex. I know one of the tips I got from a mastermind retreat I just hosted in Bali was I was kind of bringing this up and they said, I've got a team about like four or five and they're like, look, Steve, you you can't find somebody just to replace you. Cause kind of like what you said, Alex, well, you know, you're trying to do this, write a blog post, write code, write all this stuff and fundraising. You're like, you got to find one person to do that one piece of thing that you do. Find another person to do that one piece. So it might take like three people to replace you, but you need three people. And so yeah. and that was like an eye opener for me. So I'm just training one person to do X, Y, and Z, this part of my job, and then not find another person to do this part of my job and so forth. Yeah. No, it's great. The work will scale a lot more than just what you can do when you actually have somebody that can do it and focus on it too. 
So I'd be remiss without, obviously, for those who aren't familiar with Branch, to talk a little bit more about Branch. Look, how when we brought on Mata, she talked a lot about personalizing, personalization, being a key driver, so that when people are sharing out links and sharing, like I'm sharing a link with Alex, hey Alex, you got to check out this app, and then Alex downloads it and says, hey Steve, and shows up my picture, and kind of that leads to more engagement. How's that sort of evolved? How's Branch evolved since we talked to Mata back in 2016? Yeah, it's great. I think the like the best description, and this might be a little bit too abstract, and then I'll tie it to some actual tactical use cases, is in the web, when internet access happened entirely through a single browser on one device, normal HTTP links worked really well. Like you could get a link to a product or a blog post or a news article or whatever, you'd click on it, no matter what kind of device you were on, it would load in the browser. On that page, there were a bunch more links. And when you clicked on one, it'd go to another website immediately. So seamless transitions happen. And then as the website owner, you get a bunch of really cool data about where users are coming from to ultimately go and then, you know, buy a product or listen to a podcast or whatever. And so the HTTP was sort of that foundational piece of technical protocol, that infrastructure that allowed this universal interconnectivity. But now a vast majority of Internet access happens on a mobile phone. And on the mobile phone, people have moved away from the web browser. So there are some stats from last year that 90 percent of time spent on a mobile device is in native apps not via a web browser. And so and the pattern of access now shifted to instead of clicking on links to seamlessly transition between things, it's now go to your home screen, open up an app, do some stuff, close the app, open up another one, et cetera, et cetera. We've moved to this this world of walled gardens that have broken all of that interconnectivity. So Branch's job, like our only goal is to build a platform that recreates a lot of that interconnectivity that existed in the browser, but in this new world of walled gardens, where you as a business owner could be you know, promoting your uh, particular content or product or whatever it is on Instagram or Facebook or Twitter, maybe sending emails out, whatever it is, and those links that you're sharing should link back to your business, get the user out of Instagram, get the user out of Facebook, get them out of email, take them to your app if they have it, or go to the website, basically to help you better connect and allow that interconnectivity. Uh, so very abstractly, like the two you know, fundamental value that we add for our companies is first, the user experience. So when a user clicks on that link in Instagram and then goes to your app or whatever, they get deep linked, they get a really great experience, it's con, uh, consistent with, with their expectations. Or if they click on a link and go install the app, upon install, you can personalize it. The second piece is the measurement side. As I described before, when you had just a website, it was very easy for you to see in like Google Analytics or something where all these users were coming from. But now, you know, a user might interact with your business in Instagram and then interact in Facebook and then open up your app. There's no way to really know all those different touch points and map them to that user that ultimately went and bought something inside the app. So our goal is to provide that sort of cross-channel and cross-platform 
referrer tracking or attribution right, so companies right. can see how all these different campaigns or product initiatives are performing. So user experiences and attribution to sort of recreate a lot of that great foundation that existed in the web before, but in this new world of siloed native apps. I know that there's a virtual summit I just ran, and we talked a lot about influencer marketing, especially the big guys, right? So I had people from Viber, I had Eric Seifert on, and then they talked a lot about influencer marketing. And I know it's a big craze out there right now, Alex. So how have people like, what are some creative ways that people have used branch and influencer marketing together? Yeah, it's great. <clears throat> I think a perfect example, I think influencer marketing of all particular marketing channels suffers from this problem of fragmentation more than any other, mainly because the influencers and the way that they communicate with their users are inherently not on the business's platform. They're in some other app, like an Instagram or a Facebook or Twitter or whatever. And your job, if you go work with one of these influencers, is to give them some ability to reference back to your business and you know hopefully be able to track the performance and you know all that kind of stuff. So it's very, very common. In fact, probably most of the Instagram profiles that you would look at for some of these influencers are using branch links as way to link out of Instagram. So deep link back to your app or go to the website if the app's not installed. And then also provide that, you know, Instagram to app or Instagram to website attribution to say that this particular influencer drove this amount of revenue for the business. And then you can do payouts and all that kind of stuff. That's more of the like individual influencer targetings where it's more one to one. Um, but we also have the ability as an example, and you'll see it in many instances when you are inside of a particular particular application or you know looking at a mobile website when you go to share a link so you have an existing user who wants to influence and drive growth those links will be branch links so if you're in example yelp and you go to share a restaurant with a friend or something the link that goes out is a branch link because they want to be able to see how is this one individual user actually driving driven growth and they want to make sure that that link that goes out to facebook or you know messenger or whatever correctly links back to the Yelp app so that new user will get the best possible experience. So it's really about getting users out of these social silos and back into your business so you can monetize them, engage them, do all that kind of awesome stuff uh, so that you know Facebook can't trap them inside their, their own walled garden. I know Boshi Bloom, who runs growth for Viber, said when they were working with influencers, I'm sure they're using branch for this, they would have stickers within their messaging app. They'll create these stickers for these influencers. So the influencer, hey, I'm Alex, you want to check out my stickers on Viber, you got to go check it out, message me there, swipe up whatever you need to do. And then obviously, it takes them straight to that sticker pack. And it's really driven engagement, retention, everything else that you need to yeah. see from growth. The really awesome thing we enable is the ability to get users out of those silos. So when you see that link in, you know, Instagram, or whatever it is, messenger, or whatever it is, uh, we have the ability to correctly link the user out of the app because we use some really intelligent data and some machine learning to know when the app is installed from Instagram, as an example, so that only users that have the app get taken out hmm. and the users that don't get an experience where they would expect in mobile web. But they don't see error messages or broken modals or other crazy, terrible things that, uh, you know, you can't do without branch. 
And so the way that we build that is actually on top of our scale because we see so many clicks and interactions across all these different applications. We know effectively when a user has an app installed or not and correct, can correctly route them as appropriate based on our knowledge. Right. And so it's just a, a very unique feature on the branch platform that's pretty awesome. I created a video just on this. I was like, hey, if you want an easy way to build those type of links where you just have one link and you can use it on, we've done these on Reddit campaigns where it's just, if they're on Android, it shows them, <laughs> it will take them yeah. to the Android app store. <laughs> if they're on iOS mobile, they'll take them to the iOS one. If they're on the web, then it'll take them to a website where there's a little text number that they can then put in and then it'll obviously send them the link to that and so it's a really great way absolutely free to use as well so yeah. that's one of those things that i absolutely love too yeah and i think it's important also about covering like there's the key cases of just like android ios you know some of the basic browsers but when your links are going out from a user they're going to be shared across a very wide array of different application messaging applications browsers, et cetera. And, you know, you might think that that incremental 5% from who knows UC browser is not important. But if you look at the sort of like summary of that 5% over time, it makes a substantial difference. And Branch invests in covering over 6,000 different edge cases to make sure that when the user clicks on that link, no matter where on earth they are, or what type of app they're using or what phone, whatever, they get the best possible experience and then you can actually track them. That's a real, that's really cool. So I want to get into the weeds a little bit, Alex. So back to your Yelp example, what does Yelp track? I mean, you don't have to say Yelp in particular, but what should we be tracking? Should we be tracking that this was a user shared? Should we be tracking that this is Alex that's sharing it? Should we be sharing, you know, what else should we be tracking so that we know how to use this data? Yeah. So really, I'd say it's definitely not a common factor or uh, something that people are looking at on a regular basis, but I'll tell an anecdote then, and hopefully it'll explain. It's something that we'll have actually on our dashboard very shortly, but today most people, the savviest folks are just ingesting the data and building their own analysis. Um, but I like to refer to it as viral worth. And so the concept is, and this is an anecdote from when we were working on our uh, photo book app, it's something that we found when we were buying two different types of audiences. So as an example, we found that, um, you know, it was like Midwestern moms for photo books as an audience was actually a pretty expensive group to buy because they were, you know, maybe recently had a kid. There were a lot of other companies targeting this audience. And then the other audience was like more teens was much cheaper to buy on a per install basis. And so we're like, if we just looked at it as like a cost per install, uh, it would be, it would tell us, forget the Midwestern moms, we're going to be more effective on the teen group. Then when we actually built Branch for ourselves, we started to attribute what was actually like a user goes through a flow, creates a photo book, and then the next prompt is to share it with a friend because it's a, you know, it's a personal thing. You want to share what you've created. It's really cool. When we accounted for the additional users driven by each cohort, each different audience group. Mm -hmm. So Midwestern moms, we found, tended to share and drive new users to the app at a much higher rate than the teen group. And so if you accounted for what I refer to as their viral worth of the users of the Midwestern moms, actually on like a per user basis, they were much cheaper than the teen group. 
And so the only way we were able to know that was to say that this particular user that we bought ended up driving a share that drove another user to engage and then, you know, buy a photo book. And I, we see a lot of companies starting to use this data to better tune their marketing and um, taking in that secondary effect of virality uh, into their spend. So I won't call out specific companies just for, you know, anonymity. But when you when that link gets created in that share, Branch will tell you this is the particular user that it uh, drove that share. And then if a user then if a friend of that user clicks on the link and then installs or goes to the website and does a transaction, you will know that that transaction actually uh, was referred by the original sharing user. And so you can build out these viral worth factors to get a sense of like how much is each user actually worth when it comes to driving additional users to the business. And so that's just one tactical example that I think can be really, really effective at perhaps completely changing your strategy when it comes to spend or other organic growth. I love that example. And from a technical perspective, so I'm thinking about the person that has to actually implement all this. Sounds like there's not much we have to do, right? Like branch is going to take care of it. We might have to analyze who are the users that are sharing the most and driving the most usage and what demographic do they fall in? But branch has that data in terms of like who's doing it. Yeah, and we can send it to, you know, mix panel or amplitude or if you have other, you know, other types of um, an analytics tools, we've integrated directly so you can pipe all this stuff to them. So it should be pretty easy to do it on your own or you can get the whole batch of data and, you know, process it offline if you want. Um, integration is really easy. So you just drop in the SDKs after you've signed up and done the other like configuration stuff. And then we actually have a really cool wrapper around the native iOS share sheet. So if you ever see those default iOS share sheet, we have one that automatically creates a branch link and puts it in the message and you can customize the message and all that kind of stuff. And so like you don't even need to worry about link creation. It just happens automatically once you put our share sheet into the app. That's really cool. So let's end with this, Alex. How much have you guys raised? I, I can see it on Crunchbase, but I want to make sure it's not it's accurate. Yeah, so we've raised uh, somewhere close to about 120 million so far. Um, I think it's 117 is the total. I've kind of lost track. <laughs> <laughs> Once it hits over 100, it's like, ah. <laughs> yeah. The, as a developer, you know, like there's the, the stereotype that maybe developers aren't so good at marketing, aren't so good at storytelling. I know you've raised so much money. Like how have you gotten so good at just the storytelling part? Because I know you said to me before we record that fundraising is all about storytelling. Really? Yeah. I think the important thing, and I'm, I'm not claiming to be an expert at this, and you know, I don't know if everyone ever wants to be good at this process, um, but my, in my previous job, I actually did a lot of presentations. Uh, I would analyze things, and then I would actually present like a whole slide deck and have to tell a story about problem statement, what we found, uh, you know, and then what the recommended solution was. And I think there's a way to do storytelling to make your idea seem much bigger and more exciting and faster growing than uh, than maybe it is, or I don't wanna say like falsify anything, but to present it in a way that makes it seem much grander. And there's a few really good blog posts on the subject and happy to refer, share after the fact, but you know, the, high, uh, the high level is you want to sort of paint a vision of what the world was like before, 
you know, your product came into existence. And I kind of did it actually earlier in this slide where I was, and I'll use branches, the analogy of like, this is the way the web worked before mobile. And then there was this change, like a platform change. And so something happened in the world to sort of disrupt that status quo. And it's really important one, when you describe this initial piece, even though it sounds like a little bit like fluff, because you're describing sort of first magnitude of the problem, you're describing like how many people as a whole is, is it gonna affect? And then you're also answering a really, really important question that every investor asks themselves, which is why now? Like, why is this company doing this today? Because you might feel like a unique snowflake when you have your cool idea and you're like thinking about now trying to build it, but there are probably, they've heard that exact story a thousand times before. As you know, terrible as it is, um, it's just like ideas are worth nothing. And what really matters is an idea combined with a product and timing. And so you have to be able to answer that timing question of why your product is going to work right now and why it wouldn't work, you know, five years ago. And so describing that sort of fundamental world change is essential to set up that why now. And then that's your chance to say, like, you lay out the problem of like, this is because why now this thing broke, like in our case, apps broke the internet and boom, you drop your solution of we're going to fix it all by connecting everything back together again in our case. Um, and then you can like, once you do that, they're like, okay, I get it. Why now? Then the question is, does this problem, does this solution actually solve the problem? And that's where you're like, here's my our product. And hopefully you have some awesome hockey stick curve of whatever metric, like, you know, podcasts, it's listens or branch. It was like number of companies using us and whatever thing to show that the market acknowledges that you've solved this problem really well. And then the only other thing you need is like, um, you know, how much money you're going to make in the long run and how you're going to return their fund a hundred times over. And so showing just how big the monetization is, but in general, I think as long as you can position your story in this much grander way and answer some of these key questions, it'll make your life way easier. I love the first point of like, talk about what, how it existed before so that people can kind of interact with, I've seen this problem before. Or I know how this works. Otherwise yeah. it's just like, you know, kind of like it gets lost on people unless you paint that picture properly too. Yeah. And I think that usually people will get a slide deck and they're like, all right, problem statement. And then they have like problem statement. And usually it's a pretty bad description of the problem. And then it's like solution or product. And it's like, like, whoa, like what's going on? Like, I don't know. I just find that it's, that's not a good way to tell a story. That's like a good way to have bullet point list of things you should address. But storytelling, no one ever walked in and started telling a story of like, you know, problem statement, solution, ending. It was like, there's, it's gotta be a flow, you know, it's gotta be smooth like butter. How did you find the H, like, how did you figure out the, the web analogy? Was it like, it took you, did it take you a couple iterations or were you like, duh, like this? Is um, I think that it, I think it takes years to really hone the whole, the like exact story that really describes, describes the most abstract thing that you're doing. Um, mainly because what I found in general is you just learn, like when you first start, you can, you tend to focus on more of like a niche set of problems and as you grow and continue to invest, the like broader market picture becomes clearer and clearer. And that's where you can describe things in a much more general sense and describe like at a very high level what problem you're solving. Whereas like 
if you know you were to ask us in when before we even built branch it was like we wanted to make sure that when you click on a link and go install an app you get a great experience and now like that way is like yeah that's a very niche problem that you're solving but when you describe it in like actually there's this much bigger problem that allows the company to expand in many different areas um, i think it just makes it easier for people to understand but also increases the magnitude of the potential impact of the company Alex, I'm going to ask you to go way back a little bit, but what do you remember the first way you framed the problem in that, in that first pitch? Yeah, I think the, the main thing was like, it was more just around how linking was broken. It was, I can't, I, I should probably open it up and take a look at it. I think it was mostly around like, you know, all we want to be able to do is link to these pages in our app for growth to do like content marketing mm -hmm. and um, nobody has solved this for some reason, which is crazy to us. So we built a tool that solves it and now it's growing like crazy. And um, I would tell you a little bit about uh, the longer I kind of wrapped up on, I never explained exactly about sort of the bigger, how we're going to return the fund a billion times over. Um, and I won't touch on it now because it's still secret. Uh, but it's hap it should be something that we can talk about probably in the next three to four months. Awesome. We'll have to have you back then. <laughs> kind of wrap this all up too. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, Alex, this has been absolutely amazing. But before we, get, we go to the big finish, I want to thank my last sponsor. I'm trying to figure out who it was that the, I first think. But it is b7dev.com. The, the, actually, I didn't sponsor do any sponsor reads. So let me do the sponsors real quick right here. Guys, look, this is a lot of work to put this podcast together. And so I'm thankful to these sponsors for supporting the show and give me the ammo and the people to support it. Let me thank the guests, the, the sponsors. The, if you're looking for an app development firm that will help you grow as a founder, in the early days, and you have an idea, you just don't want to spend a crap load of money and just blow your entire budget on developing the app, go check out the number B, the number, no, the letter B, the number seven dev.com. That's B7dev.com. They're going to help you out. And if you're looking to grow your app installs at a very low CPI and want to use Snapchat influencers, well, the company that I would recommend is Fanbytes. They've done an amazing job with amazing apps who are driving less than 50 cent CPIs through their platform. They've got a ad format that really works well and that is driving the low cost installs. So it is Fanbytes, not the, the way you eat, but the geeky way of spelling bites, fanbytes.com. Alex, this has been absolutely amazing, but let's go to the big finish. What is one app we definitely have to check out? I have to say that like, you know, um, there are also big branch cust you know, customers, users, um, but I'm a huge fan of Reddit. It's iOS app. Uh, it just the format to go from the old paginated style, you know, uh, Reddit website to just the infinite scroll is the most addicting thing I've ever encountered. Um, and so I think really, really great job to that team to build this product and like to make it so much easier to access this awesome stuff. So, uh, but that's my personal favorite right now. Is there a subreddit that you're always on? You can find <laughs> Alex on? Uh, I'm a, personally, and I don't know if this is, uh, you know, it's a smaller one, but I'm a big fan of electronic music. I love all forms of electronic music from house to drum and bass to trance to you name it. Um, and so I'd say that's my personal favorite now for discovering new stuff. Awesome. What's a lesson that took you the longest to learn? Uh, yeah. I think the probably the most challenging thing for me as, as an engineer 
is, you know, now managing a lot more people is really developing more of the people side of the, you know, the, the, of the story of my personal skill set. I think the way that I approach company building is very similar to like product building. And it was before, I think I had the mindset of there's just a bunch of stuff that we have to do and we would do it. I would personally do it. And my, as soon as I finish something, I check the box like the second later, I'm like, all right, what's the next broken thing that I need to do? And I'll dive right into it. And when it comes to managing people, I find that that type of efficient operation is not the best, the best way to do it in that, you know, a, a group will finish a really great project or pro- ship a product or, you know, close a big deal or whatever. And my next thought in my head by default is immediately, all right, what's the problem? What's the next problem we're going to do? And so I'm the, you know, they'll be like, Hey, we finish it. And then I say, okay, well, what about this thing? <laughs> and I think in general, something that it's taken me a while to learn and get better at as a, a manager and a leader is celebrating the success, helping people, you know, realize that I really appreciate how awesome the thing was they shipped or the deal was that they closed and all the hard work that they put into it before I say, all right, well, what about this thing? Um, and so I think just learning a little bit more about how better to work with people has made me a, an effective person, but took me a way too long to learn. Great tip. I love that you, you said that the website is branch.io. Like I said, if you just want to check out the whole linking feature of being able to give your end user, no matter what platform they're on, you want to check out that feature alone, just to get you started, go check it out. It is branch.io. Alex, anywhere else you want to send the listener? I think that's it. Awesome. Well, Alex, thank you so much for coming on and doing this. And if you got anything out of this, find a way to thank the guests like I'm about to do now. Alex, thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you, all for, thank you all for listening. We'll see you at the next chat. Thanks for listening to the App Masters podcast. For show notes and amazing app marketing content, check out appmasters.co.